1: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. On Headstrong, we are very pleased and proud to be partnered with the CBD brand, The Good Level. Now, I've been taking CBD for about 18 months to maintain my mental well-being, but it's been very difficult to find a brand that I can trust because there's so many faceless foreign brands out there and you're not sure what you're buying or how it's sourced. Luckily, I found two guys, Joe and Johnny, who have created this wonderful brand called The Good Level. What's so great about these guys is that they support British farming. Many brands import their CBD from America, but The Good Level say they don't rely on the methods by farmers that they've never met, nor the farms that they've never seen. They have a really close relationship with their farmers who are in Somerset, meaning they know how their product is produced from start to finish. They're the first CBD company i found who put a face on the brand and they're transparent with the whole process of how they create their products. And they've even got their own podcast where they look at the latest research on CBD. To check them out, go to their Instagram at the.good.level and drop them a message if you want to find out more about CBD. And for 15% off their products, use Headstrong15 on their website for checkout. Hello and welcome back to Headstrong Series 6. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast, Headstrong. Now, Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a variety of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers. But notably, I talk to them about their vulnerabilities. And I do this because I want to learn what the word Headstrong means to them. I have had some wonderful guests on this podcast before, from Ramesh Ranganathan to Simon Pegg. And this chap that is on today, I have been trying to get on probably since the start of the podcast. Today, I am joined by former Made in Chelsea star, Jamie Lang. Now, Jamie and I sat down to have a chat about how we know each other. We talked about his introduction to Made in Chelsea all those years ago we also talked about his own mental health experiences and his experiences with tinnitus, which you'll hear lots more about in this episode. This is a really informative and interesting episode, so I really hope that you enjoy the podcast. Furthermore, this series, we are sponsored by The Good Level, who are a wonderful British CBD company, and more on them later in the podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. We finally secured this. We've locked it in after months of persistence on my end.
2: No, dude, listen. Can I just say that I, I honestly admire persistency. Truth is, yeah, you, you asked me for, I mean, a long time. And I said to you before we started the podcast, I don't do podcasts really anymore. But I, well, I do my own podcasts. But I don't do other people's podcasts because... Um, it's. I've done so many now that you kind of normally get asked the same questions or stuff like that. So it's hard to um, say something new or something different. So, um, yeah, I, I, I say no to everyone's. But your persistency, I admired. And I went, oh, you know what, I'm going to do it. So we're here <laughs> Anything to now. shut me up. <laughs> I, no, not even to shut you up, dude. I was just literally like, I just couldn't believe how insanely persistent it was. And I just was like, that's so sweet that it was so persistent and also uh, you know we've, we've met in Barbados all that kind of stuff back in my early days when I was very drunk all the time uh, <laughs> I was drunk all the time so uh, it brings back some nostalgic memories
1: naturally um, before we kick on I'm starting every episode this series in the same way uh, and it's I'm checking in with my guests and I want to see how they are so I want to ask how are you feeling today and how are you doing at the moment
2: I love that that's so wicked um Dude, you know what? I, I, I'm I'm pretty good. I can't complain actually at the moment. I think that um, I I always lacked balance in my life in terms of emotional, financial, whatever it was. I was just always spending or being erratic or being anxious or not anxious, all those different things, or in our relationships and all this kind of stuff. And actually, for uh, the sort of last year, year and a half, two years maybe, um, I've had pretty good balance. So um, yeah, I I feel pretty blessed in that area.
1: It's easier. How to get- are you feeling? That's very sweet to ask me about. Do you know what? I am good. I'm delighted that it's Friday. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm living on the coast at the moment. So I'm looking at the sea out my window, which is gorgeous.
2: Oh, my God, Um And
1: life is good. I've got my, my puppy fast asleep next to me here. Oh, my God. Oh, he's awake now. But he's yeah. awake. So, where, where in the coast are you? I'm down in Lyme Regis at the moment. So down in Dorset. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty dreamy at the moment. I just thought that during the pandemic, there's no better time to escape the city, yeah. escape busyness, because I couldn't see anybody. But I am moving at the end of the summer. But- yeah, my, my, my
2: business but a lot of people just moved out. My business partner has moved out to to the countryside. Um, he's having a baby with his wife. So he's done that. Uh, my uh, podcast producer for my six degrees one is moving out to the countryside as well. And he's going to commute into London. So lots of people are doing it. Maybe it's the way forward. This is what we need to do, I think.
1: A couple of years for you to, before oh, you pop, of pop out me. of.
2: Oh, I'm going to pop out loads of babies and just <laughs> move to the countryside and live on an island.
1: Wear shuffles. Oh, yeah. I'm going to wear Crocs <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it was difficult for me to kind of prep this episode to know which way I wanted to navigate it. Because uh, this podcast is rooted in mental health. And I do want to engage in that part of it and that side of things. But also, I'm well aware of your charismatic energy that you kind of accentuate to everybody which is yeah. you know fantastically contagious but oh, uh, to you. kind of understand this and contextualize it I want to talk about you as a kid as a okay. child because you must have some pretty epic memories but can you remember the first your earliest memory as a child be that good or bad
2: yeah yeah I can I can remember my first ever memory um which is so I as you can imagine, I was a hyperactive kid I think that if you if I got diagnosed now as one of these children if I was you know, on Louis Through documentary, they would say, this kid is, needs to be on Riddlin. You know, I, I was one of those guys. And, but I was manic, crying, screaming, stealing, all these different, things. I was all over the place, running before I could walk. It was just crazy. And, and looking back at it, n- no wonder, like <laughs> I didn't do well in school and things like that. Like, obviously, oh, there's something wrong with this child. Um, so my first ever memory was me going to nursery. I went to a school called Hadron Castle School and they had a nursery, they had a reception, they had a big school. Uh, And I went to nursery, and they used to have something called the pink wall on the left-hand side. I ran into it once and cracked my head open. But I must have been about three, I reckon. What is it, three and a half? When you go to nursery, and my dad took me in, and I remember him bumping into a lady, bumped into her, and he went, "Oh God, I'm so sorry," like that. And then we kept moving on, and I remember just crying to Mrs. Gillians um, in the nursery, and because I was the only kid who was crying, was leaving my mum for what, like four hours, whatever it was. I was That's how needy I was back then. And Mrs. Gillian's then took me to go and get the milk because she thought that would make me feel better. It didn't, I hated it. Um, and that <laughs> was the initial moment that I realised I hated, hated change, hated being away from family, hated um, not being, hating being told what to do, didn't like it.
1: Well, you obviously went, then went on to Radley as well, which I, I'm well familiar with. Um, and that's from 13 through to 18. And there's this yeah. kind of... This, the very thought of private school to some people is completely alienating. But to some people, it's just the world that, that all they've ever known. How yeah, do you yeah, reflect yeah. on kind of private school in the terms of people? Because as we were talking about before, you played sports. And mm. what I remember at school, the sports kids were the cool kids. And yeah, yeah. It, to an extent, that helped you on the school platform maybe not necessarily academically though
2: totally yeah it's a weird thing especially at private school is that you if you play sport you're automatically cool and i think that's quite sort of an americanized style where if you're the jock you're cool i don't mm. know if i was cool or not but i think i was probably perceived if you asked someone in my year whether i was popular they would probably say yeah he is i was deeply insecure <laughs> i wanted to be everyone's friend i want everyone to love me so if you asked an outsider they'd probably say that but private school's a weird one right because you know, there's a lot of like, st- I remember I went to Leeds University after Radley. And mm. I remember I, was, I went and did theater and performance. And I was doing theater performance. And one of the girls uh, who went to state school said to me, You went to private school, I went to state school. We're both at Leeds University doing the same thing. What difference did you have? And I remember thinking, I don't know. She so went, So your parents paid for it, my parents didn't, and we're at the same place. So what's the point paying for it? And, I, and that kind of stuck with me. And I was like, That is so true. I don't really know how to tackle this. And I think what I've realized. Uh, with there's advantages and disadvantages to private school and 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 non-private school state school um and you know private school you're definitely uh you 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 get it the negatives are you get a sense of arrogance uh there's a sense of of elitistness there's um you know you don't mix with different cultures or or lives that much you're kind of all sort of have lived the same similar lives and so there's a lot of that so you're pretty um you're you're not very experienced or self-aware in those areas. The benefit for me is I went to boarding school at the age of eight years old, right? So, Summerfields, and I went to Radley. And at eight years old, you're thrown into a dormitory of 12 people or 15 people that they're complete strangers. And you're thrown into an environment where you have to make friends and you have to understand people. And so, from an early age, I knew what I had to do in order to make friends or understand people. I knew people's body language, the way they acted, all these different things. And so, if you throw me into situations now, I can react in those areas Um, and then secondly to that is that you you get inner confidence we got to play sport all the time because there were grounds we got to play any musical instrument we wanted to we got to do uh, speech and drama we got to stand up in front of the school and and recite uh, poems so you were driven within you you have this confidence to do these things yeah it varies from child to child but typically that's what happens so I left school being confident which I don't think a lot of kids do. A lot of kids do not leave school. Actually, they lose confidence because of bullying or they're just misfits or whatever it is. But I left school and a lot of my friends and a lot of people I know left school with this inner confidence without realizing it. And that does help you in life having confidence, I think.
1: And I think that inner confidence stems from uh, the private school atmosphere of giving you independence, because by mm-hmm. that point, if you're there without your parents, you literally have to think for yourself. And also to go off your, what you were talking about insecurity as well, is that you have to be on form all the time because yes. your mates are constant. it's a competition basically the whole yes. time, private school, you're constantly competing to be the best, whether you like it or not, that is how it's structured because you have mm-hmm. to be on form the whole time. And that does you know you know, you project your insecurities by being confident and then by the time you leave you're probably like okay i have- actually am confident now you know (laughs) yeah
2: that's so funny you say that it's so true and there's there's a there's a massive hierarchy at at Mm. private schools i don't know about other schools but there's a food chain and you have to work your way up it and you don't mess with the people at the top and the people at the bottom can't really mess with the people at the top and so it's a very doggy dog world out there and they think it's all nice and this and you're you get this amazing thing you know our parents i didn't choose to go there my parents paid for me to go there you got to play sport and things like that but you have bedtimes, and you can't leave, and you know there are rules all the time, and you know it''s it's it's tricky and we can go to private school at eight years old, where your Pelham groom is next, to you and he's screaming mummy, I'm like, this is like prison, what's
1: going on so <laughs> yeah so it really hinders some people in the future for sure. And talking about that hierarchy, then, when yeah. you turned up at um, Radley, I know from my personal experiences, as you say, you don't talk to the top years unless you want a little bit of chat back, or, or, yeah. And what they like to call it is character building, and I use inverted commas in that yes. in that kind of reason because I would ha- argue that there's a fine line between banter and character building, and then actually, you know, nowadays it's probably deemed as bullying. Really, yeah, yeah. you would be expelled
2: for the stuff that happened. 100%. Yeah,
1: I mean, what can you remember anything that happened to you specifically? Oh my God, yes.
2: I, I was in B-Social and um, B-Social was a tough social. We had a housemaster called Bobby Horroyd at the time and he let the boys run the house. So the boys ran the house, 100% they ran the house. And I had all sorts of things happen to me. It was, but weirdly enough, I got to put this out there, um, is that I, if you were picked on, if you were beaten up, if you were uh, teased or think by the older years, it was a sign of respect, weirdly enough. They wouldn't do it to the kids they knew couldn't take it. They did it to the kids who were cocky, mm. and I was this cocky little shit, right? So I took it as a sense of pride, but it did, you know, I got set fire to. Um, they sprayed <laughs> links me, yeah, they sprayed links on me, set fire to me. Um, I got held up on the cross and they punched me in the ribs. Like, I remember that? I got put, I got made sleep in a tuck box one night, which is like a big suitcase thing. Um, I uh, had to go and eat all of these chocolate calendars. I had to, we had something called a milk. It was like a cow, which was like, I don't know how many liters of milk. Had to drink the whole thing. Like, oh. it, like, it, it was endless, the stuff that happened. And, you know, Saturday nights would come. when I. This, but we're going back how many years? We're going back, God, Jesus, nearly 20 years. Oh, my God, that's scary. What the hell? I feel like I'm 18 still. Hectic. Um, but, you know, and... You know, Saturday night would come, the boys would come back drunk from, and you knew you were going to get beaten up. It was like, oh God, here we go. But I enjoyed it for a weird kind of reason. I don't know why I liked
1: it. So you don't reflect on that with any negativity? You feel like that that was actually an important part of your education and growth?
2: I think for some people it would have been difficult. For me, I enjoyed Mm. it. I enjoyed, I've always wanted to be liked or respected or loved or all these different things. And the fact that they were paying attention to me meant something whether that was being beaten up or being high-fived, it was the same to me. So people were showing me attention and I liked that.
1: And I know exactly where this stems from because we have something very in common and that's that we're both the middle child.
2: Yes. And
1: immediately, I am the problem child. <laughs> I was involved in every single argument that could possibly happen in my family. What about you? Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I was always the one. As a kid, I was always in trouble, I remember my childhood was all like, it was always me trying to not be in trouble or being in trouble, breaking windows, getting in trouble at school, not doing the work. It was, I wasn't so, when I was growing up, I was always thinking that I, and as a kid, right? I got told this the other day, you know, parents, it's so hippy dippy, but parents (laughs) shouldn't blame the child, right? So if if a baby's done something wrong, don't say you're a bad child. You blame the, you, you get cross at the action. So you, don't oh don't do that because that will happen not that the child is bad but the, mm-hmm. the thing that's happened there is wrong and as a kid I was always blamed you're a bad kid you're this you're that so I grew up thinking I was a bad kid and no wonder then when I was in my teens and early 20s and things that I went rogue and <laughs> I remember my mum grabbed my face once and it was like that scene in Peter Pan where they go, there you are, Peter, to in the hook, the movie, when he suddenly realizes that Robin Williams is Peter Pan. Um, my mum grabbed my face and said, where is my Jamie? And I literally looked back to and went, nowhere. <laughs> it was like a very intense moment.
1: It's really interesting because that's, that's a mindset shift of when you're telling off a kid, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you shouldn't say you're the problem. It's actually what you have done is the problem where you can counteract yeah. that. Because exactly. actions can be changed, ultimately. But yes. you had... Three mad years up at Leeds, I have no doubt. And so let's not talk <laughs> about too many specific details of your, <laughs> your time there. But what I do want to talk about is your intro to Maiden in Chelsea yeah. and how that came about because you probably left Leeds Uni being like, I've just done theatre and performance. What do I do? Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, how well, did well, it well, come well,
1: about for you? Okay. Like, where, what were your emotions at this time? You're jet setting a little bit, enjoying your time, but you needed a little bit of structure, right?
2: Yeah, I mean for me so there's a guy called um Joe Grossman who's CEO, he's founder and CEO of Patty and Bun. It's a burger place in London. Um, I know yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. it's great burgers. And he said to me once, "I I'm I'm unemployable." He said he was unemployable. That's why he had to go and start a business. Agent. And I also was unemployable. You couldn't employ me because I wanted to do my own thing and I didn't listen to anyone and I thought that I knew what was right and I couldn't understand the concept of making someone else a success. I didn't get that. Why would I want to make someone else a success? Why would I do it by myself? And I didn't know what entrepreneurship was or anything like that. I just had no cl- I- idea. I just you know. I thought people went and got jobs and that was it. Um, and I did theatre performance at Leeds University. I got my library card in the last term of my last year. <laughs> that was the only time I got my ever got my library card. That's like how insanely bad at university I was. I just didn't enjoy doing stuff that didn't interest me. And I got a I got a two two in theatre and performance. I scraped two two. I mean I didn't know oh, no. I did my I did my dissertation in um, in less than like I don't know how long it was, maybe like three days. And this guy gave me Ritalin to take, so I'd concentrate. And I took this Ritalin and I went to the bathroom and I sat on the loo and suddenly I looked up and I'd been on the loo for 45 minutes playing Angry Birds. And I was like, what is this stuff? At least you were concentrating. Oh my, I was concentrating on something. Um, So I left with a tutu and I remember I was playing tennis with my friend and I just got my results. And I put up on my Facebook page, I still got the status on my Facebook page and it said, Tutu from for theatre and performance from Leeds University. Does anyone want their car washed? And it was this point where I was like, I'm absolutely screwed. Because I, I was always told that the way to be happy and the way to uh, have a fulfilling life was you had to get a certain job. You had to go on a skiing holiday and your kids had to get to private school. This is what I thought, right? This is yeah. what I grew up with. This is what I thought. Um, and it's totally not the case. And then what happened was is mainly my friends were doing main chelsea at the time i was like most people criticizing them oh what idiots like? But but i secretly i was jealous of the fact they were doing it of course And they were doing C. Yes, so jealous and that was season one and i'd always had this fascination with being famous i suppose or being known and I filmed everything as a kid. So I filmed I had a video camera wherever I went. I still got the video stuff here. So wherever I went, I had a video camera. Um and hey, mate, that's so a I, channel
1: four documentary waiting to happen.
2: I know. I've got all of these hey. doc maybe shit. I've got pitch all it. of this stuff. I should pitch that. Great up. That's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> Holy smokes. What <laughs> an idea. Um, I'm gonna think about doing that. Um, so anyway, I um so anyway, so as I was saying, so basically, what happened, I now got that idea in my head, like this I is know. probably you <laughs> get like the ideas in my head. I then can't focus on things. So I'm like, oh my god, I want a picture now. Listen, if we, if it happens, we'll do it together. Yeah, we'll we'll so, do that. We'll, yeah, you came up with the idea. You you, pit, you told me about it. Yeah, and <laughs> then be persistent. I'm not even kidding. We'll do this together. I'm not even done. Kidding. So um, anyway, so I was my friends were doing main Chelsea. It was season one. It was it was about posh kids drinking champagne and driving Ferraris, and you know it was. I hated it I was like oh god they're doing this and doing that anyway um, I then season two I was asked for season two and I went oh god I don't really know I, I'm denied about it for ages um, and meanwhile I went and had an, inter- a, a job, I went and had an interview at uh, a wealth management company And what the hell was it called I can't remember when I had an interview and the boss said to me I walked in I made him laugh I always say to anyone, use humor, 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 humor. It's always a mm. ticket to, to getting things through. So I made him laugh. And he said, all right, I'm going to give you a job. You can start in two weeks' time. And I went, all right, cool. So uh, I had a choice of taking a
1: wealth management job. On a good salary, probably.
2: Not even on like a good salary. It was commission but I think I was on like 18 grand basic uh. and you had to make yourself whatever it was. And And I was like, okay, oh, I have this choice of going down this road to do main Chelsea. And I remember thinking it was two roads. I could go down this one, which I have no idea about, or this other one, which I probably know where it's going to end up. And I couldn't think of anything worse than going to do this wealth management job. I was like, I just don't want to do it. I really don't want to do it. And uh, I went on holiday with my friend. Uh, He's a great friend of mine. He's called Cosy, And his mom was, it was very high up in television. She's actually just retired. But she was, pretty respected in the television world and I said to her oh I've been offered this job she said don't do it it'll be worse thing in the world it'll ruin your life and I went all right I'm going to do it and always with these things is that I also meanwhile had this idea for the sweet company and things like this so I thought this would be good marketing uh, but I was told this thing once by a very clever man called Rory Sutherland he's head of Ogilvy, Ogilvy Group and he said to me once said never follow logic if you are flying a plane or driving a car or doing something that requires logic, follow logic because it gets you back in a safe place, a place where you want to be, a place where everyone else is. If you are starting a business, if you're doing your life, if you want to do something crazy and creative and different to everyone else, don't follow logic because it will will get you back in the same place as everybody else. A saturated place, a place where you don't want to be. So I sort of stuck me and I never really follow logic with things. And I think, okay, well, what, if people are doing it that way, what can I do it differently? And Main Chelsea was a different route. So I went, okay, I'm going to go and do that. So that's what led me into the world of Maine Chelsea is thinking pff, I'm going to go against the grain. I kind of want to be famous. This could be fun. I don't know where it's going to end up. Let's do it
1: and that's a really good attitude to have like so many people just get caught up in what life is supposed to mean but there is no meaning to life literally is, no meaning it at all
2: literally then but that scared me for a while that there was no meaning to it like I mean I, I searched for meaning for quite a long time and perhaps that's what religion does but um it's interesting with also I was incredibly lucky because I was able to discover what I didn't want to do I had a house that was over my head that was paid for i could get food for my parents i could do all these different things i'm not trying to say it or sound all like right justin you know we all got to be equal but i was lucky right a lot of people don't a lot of people have to go and work in the local sainsbury's in order to fund their life i was lucky because you know i had food and a roof and so i could do what i wanted to do and that was fortunate so i was able to discover what i didn't want to do
1: yeah i mean perspective as well is it's easy to say as well upon reflection that you can have you had a beneficial start to others. And of course, but then there's a lot of people at 14, 15, who just know that, you know, getting a job and then they earn their money and then that they have this opportunity by 18, 19, 20, and they make their own paths as well. So it's fair enough.
2: Yeah. And also, you know, I I definitely took a road. There was, there's no security in my life. Mm. I've had to create my own security. And you know a lot of people can 't don 't like not having security. I had none for many years no no real job title, no real bases, no nothing. It could all end tomorrow with one bad picture coming out or one wrong move. That still happens today right so you 're very much living on a life edge, and so it does create. For, for a kid who was already probably pretty anxious to then throw herself into limelight and reality TV and no security, it creates a lot of anxiety.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, that is the world of the unknown. Because of course, when the show did come out, it was immensely popular. But, and I imagine you were probably living in the moment and captured and immersed in what that meant. But there could have been something where it could have just been cancelled, like straight away. Did you, yeah. did you have that intrinsic fear? Oh my God, always. I've had that my entire life. I've
2: always had imposter syndrome. I've always believed that things are going to be, I'm going to be caught out the next day. Actually, weirdly now I'm a bit more confident with it all. But yeah, I thought, that I th- I, I, I've written this book, which is called, I Can Explain, which is coming out in September. There's a little pitch for everyone. Um, <laughs> and, and in it, I always say, I was always ready for it to fall down. I was always, always ready for everything to collapse. I was always ready for it to stop. This is too good to be true that it can't it's going to finish at some point point. and it was inevitable so the problem was i was never really living in the present i was always worried about the future all the time and the, if you worry about the future it just gives you anxiety because you can't control it right you worry about the past it'll make you sad if you worry about the future it'll fill you with anxiety you have to try and live in the present and we can't really do that as humans it's very hard to this is there's an amazing lecture called why zebras don't have ulcers and if anyone wants to go and listen to it it's really good it's about uh, zebras who go and drink from the waterhole and a lioness will chase them and they run away from the, from the watering hole and escape but then they'll go straight back to the waterhole and drink from it with no fear. Humans, if someone shoots at us, we think, oh, we could have died there and then we obsess about what could have happened. Mm. Animals don't, they live in the present um, and we should try and live in the present more because then we won't get ulcers.
1: That's really interesting, absolutely. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Physical and mental well-being are so important and come hand in hand. I'm incredibly proud to be sponsored by the CBD brand, The Good Level, who have well-being at the very forefront of what they do as a company and a brand. They offer CBD oils, balms, and jellies, all of which are full spectrum and extracted by a cold press. Their oils are all made with extra virgin olive oil from Kalamata, and that makes them so much tastier than any other that I've tried before. Their balms have a fantastic smell as well, and are great to use on your skin or any pain you're experiencing. And of course their jellies taste so great for any sweet tooths. They also have a commitment to sustainability, pledging to plant at least 500 trees every year, along with ensuring all their packaging is recyclable. So if you want to check The Good Level out, go to their Instagram page at the.good.level, where you can find out all about their products. And if you'd like a discount, feel free to use Headstrong fifteen at checkout on their website. What was it that you craved about the word fame?
2: Oh, it was the validation from strangers. Okay. <laughs> it no, was, no, it's no, was... It was
1: fair. And that's that's yeah, yeah. and generally, and, and I'm not I don't mean this in any rude way, but I'd say reality TV, even more so now in the worlds of Love Island, dare I say it. That is what it's rooted in. Yeah. The of validation course. from from a- anyone I guess
2: yeah I think it, look I, I I think maybe people would say they have other things but I think that people who desire to be famous in a non-like way where you actually have a profession so actors probably some of them desire to be famous but they actually just love the sort of art of it if you're going to do reality tv you it's rare you're going to find someone who says I did it because I just loved reality tv it, you typically you're you're searching for something for validation for love or whatever it is and there's a certain type of person who goes and does reality shows normally I was definitely searching for acceptance and validation and all these different things I thought that you could get that from strangers if everyone loved you then you would be healed but um, actually what you figure out is that no that doesn't really happen strangers don't make you heal you have to heal yourself that's why people run away from things right so people go and spoke my sister older sister Tash she went and lived in Goa for 10 years and it was interesting, I was talking to her about it. I said, well, why doesn't everyone just go and run away to a beach and live a beach life? And she says, because what happens is, is that you have your problems where you're living. So you go, oh, you're going to escape it all. And you go and live in Goa or Costa Rica, or wherever it is. And you do, you meet new people, you have an amazing life. It's all fine. You're living on a beach, but then slowly by slowly, all of those insecurities and things that are within you start to build up there. And the same problems you had in the city in London start to come out in Costa Rica or Goa or wherever it is. So actually you have to fundamentally try and heal yourself before you keep running and, and doing shows or doing reality stuff. So, Doing a reality show, I would say, it comes with a warning. Be yeah, careful what you wish for.
1: And so I, as, when you were growing up, you talked about those, those deeper insecurities. And just you know, being insecure, I think most people have some insecurities within them. But co- uh, partnered with the rising build of social media when you joined Made in Chelsea, you were having to tackle this immediate rise, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then now as well, you know, utilizing your platform as a business. How do you see social media now from your... Own perspective for mental health purposes because you can get so immersed into the world of social media that again you're not living in the present you're living in virtual reality
2: i actually think it's way worse um typically for for, for social media for non-famous people i think it's worse i think famous people who have social media have a, there's a lot of benefits there so many benefits um and the the benefits probably outweigh the negativity. Um, yeah, you get you can get trolled, people get trolled, and all sorts of things. But but with people who just have social media, just have it, I think there's a lot, especially the younger generation. That's way more uh, dr- way more mental, you know, drives way more mental health because you have to. Okay, when I when I put a post up on my social media account, right, I have close to a million people liking it and saying this and commenting underneath, right? So. And some of your friends like comment or like it or stuff like that. And so you get all these different people who are liking comments, your friends, all these different things. When someone who is just having their friends on social media put up a post and none of them like it, it's way more affecting to them than it is for me because you don't really notice if your friends are like it because you get, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever thousand likes you get. So you ignore the other stuff. So I think social media is actually a really good thing Uh, for businesses for brands Mm. potentially for celebrities i think it's a it's a very it's a very lucrative thing for some people um it's a it's a good tool to connect i think for people who just use it just for pleasure i think it could potentially be a bad thing
1: what would you say to them then what would your advice be to them because it's easy Um, it's easy to it's easy to say that but how would you reflect on it if you were in the other shoes if that makes sense
2: i would be be terrible by the way i would be all over it if i was that. i would be all over it it's
1: all it's all about projection as well isn't it because like i see x y and z you know chilling out you know for example it goes back to dubai gate when all the like some influencers went out to dubai and everyone's back here locked down and they're doing it for work technically i suppose i can argue that it is sure because their work is via social media so yeah but
2: well, yeah, I know. I hear what you're saying. It's, it's an interesting uh, conversation because so, so typically, right, we're, we're meant to have a village mentality. We're meant to know like, I don't know, 150, to 200 people. So if you have a wedding, you you'd invite 200 people. I don't know. You, that's how your friends work. Uh, so and out of those 200 people, that village mentality, we have a USP, a unique selling point, something that makes us ourselves. So we're the best mm. at podcasting, the best at music, the best at going to the gym, the best mom, the best dad, so, you know, the best farmer, whatever it is. You have something that makes you you. The problem with social media is that whatever you, area that you you're an expert in your dancer whatever it is your algorithm kind of sort of projects that onto your social media because that's what you're interested in so what you do is you stand to have this village mentality we wake up every single day and we go on social media and we see people achieving so much more than we're achieving or perceiving to, to achieve so much more in dance or acting or farming or music or podcasting so then we feel inadequate so then we use, lose our sense of self our unique selling point so we think oh what is the point because i'm never going to be as good as them And so that's what social media does very badly to people is that it makes people become, um, it drives people to have less purpose and less motivation because they never feel like they're going to be unique or different or better than the person on social media. That is the problem with it, I think.
1: And they're set in the world of comparison as well. Exactly. Like you'll never achieve it.
2: yeah, Yeah. And everyone's comparing themselves to each other. I can tell you right now, whatever place you get to in life, if you're someone who's hungry to achieve, it's very hard to find a place where you're content. You're always going to be striving for more. So you have to always look down rather than up. I sat in a taxi once with this guy. Um, and I, it was an interesting guy. It was up in Manchester. And I said to him, what is the, what, what is the meaning of... How, what is happiness? And how do you create happiness? And he said, it's always to look down, never look up. So always realize what you have above other people. Look down. And some people can't walk. Some people can't breathe without help. Some people... Uh, you know don't have any money and thing if you constantly look up at people you're always wanting more so look down and realize what you have over other people and i think that's a really important thing to do looking down is a bad adjective i mean i, yeah, I, I know. Like, no no no, no i know not <laughs> looking down but it's you know what i mean realize what you have above other people uh, rather than wanting
1: what other people have just the being aware of the term being grateful
2: there you go that's yeah. much
1: simpler. <laughs> so, but it's hard to
2: be grateful sometimes it
1: right no, but it's impossible because we're constantly having things projected on us even from things like adverts and billboards mm. and magazines you, you, things are projected onto you and um, you know like 40 years ago you wouldn't have had all these receptors going mad like all these colours in your eyes it would have been very grey, black, white yes. hardly anything and life's now so complicated and there's so much going on that you're so aware of other things that you're not just aware of what you're doing
2: yeah we, we need simpler lives Um, and but how do you simplify lives? It's can't you know that life is tricky, life is not easy, but I don't think life has ever been that easy, hence why Peter Pan Mm. was written. Peter Pan or Peter Pan syndrome is actually a bad syndrome, right? Because it creates no responsibilities and things like that, which is actually a bad thing, but people think it's a good thing because Peter Pan had any option, he wanted to stay a child forever because he never wanted to grow up. Because when you grow up, you don't have options. And that's why Hook was such a tyrant is because he you know, was angry and he was always being chased by death, which was the crocodile with the clock, always chased by time. Um, and Peter Pan had no sense of time or, or anything like that. So, you know, being being naive and uh, to things is an amazing thing. But life creates responsibilities. And when you grow up, you have to have responsibilities. And, and that's tricky sometimes because we create problems for ourselves.
1: And that is a great personification of reality that that film but jamie peter pan lang obviously yeah i know I know I, know I know I know um <laughs> obviously you're talking about simplifying life you have you're going through a transitional phase in your life in the terms of you 10 years behind you i mean yeah. i wouldn't i'm not going to call it growing up because it's certainly not it's just a different chapter in your life in the sense that you're no longer going to be doing mic now yeah that is because you're an immensely busy man in other aspects of your life. We're using the word entrepreneur here. <laughs> what is a typical day in the life of Jamie Lang, like in terms of your schedule, like oh, business wise, is it, is it madness?
2: Yeah. I mean, summertime is a bit more relaxed, which is good, but I've I just hired a PA she's called Freya. She's lovely. Um, and yeah, life is, it's pretty hectic when it gets hectic. I, I mean, I try and gym in the mornings. Um, I, I have my candy kittens office that I go into. I'm shooting podcasts, I'm recording TV shows. Um most people just focus on one thing and that's probably much better to do to focus on one thing. I sort of focus on a lot of things. Um because I, I have this fear of missing out of stuff. So um <laughs> my typical day is pretty hectic getting up doing a podcast doing a TV show doing um make candy kittens um writing a book. So it varies all the time but I don't like something being repetitive I can't stand that so I have to always mix stuff up and sometimes I'm more in love with other things so at the moment I'm really in love with creating content I want to create more content at the moment um, so I'll switch to that and other times I'll be really in love with doing the business of candy kitten so I'll switch to that so it kind of varies of what I'm like a sort of seasonal person depending on how
1: I'm feeling and obviously you talk about that how busy you are then but do you make time for yourself because you have to make sure that you are in check with your mental health yourself. Yeah. Are, you, are, you, are you self-aware of your own mental health? Like if you're reaching a point where you're like overwhelmed, are you capable of taking a step back? Or are you somebody who'll go and do something to distract yourself? I am
2: now. Before I wasn't. I had, I had something called burnout. Um, I had it. For me, the lockdown, as much as it was a terror for businesses and health and mental health and you know, families and people, and things like that. For me, it was almost a blessing because I was so burnt out uh, from running at all 100 miles an hour all the time. Um, and doing a reality show for 10 years, running a business, doing podcasts, breaking up and making up in relationships, all these different things, all of that comes to a halt. And, and basically, I had this thing where um, I remember I went to Buenos Aires to film out there. And I went staying in a hotel one night. I woke up the next morning and I couldn't. The only way I could drive is I couldn't sit still. I'm restless anyway, but this was not level. I just couldn't. Okay, I need to do something like that. I just it was it was weird, and I was like, this is not quite right. I don't think. And I was becoming very socially anxious. So anxious, so going for a one-on-one lunch with a friend was too intimate. But I couldn't do it. No ways. Not a chance. Um, so I was becoming very lonely almost. And I was becoming more and more restless, and I finally persuaded myself to go and see a therapist. I didn't talk to anyone about it; I just went and did it. And was did, kept being diagnosed, kept being diagnosed, and they kind of said, "Okay, it's this, it's that. You're anxious." All these, and I kind of knew I was anxious and stuff, and I didn't really understand. Anyway, uh, Christmas that year, I was walking um, down the road. I remember, and suddenly I had this huge wave of sadness. Now, with ang- I had anxiety, I had panic attacks in the early years and that was all from sort of excess partying and things like that and other stuff and just whatever. And I dealt with this and I, and I then had something called depersonalization. I mean, I'm sounding poor me, but I, I had something called depersonalization, which is like a really ex- serious part of being anxious and all these different things. But that was all just party filled, you know, drinking way too much. Um, this was different and I could deal with anxiety because anxiety was okay. Anxiety was just like <laughs> heightened like, like intensity sadness I couldn't deal with it. I did not like that feeling and it people sort of describe depression to me. mine I don't think was depression because I could get up I could move around I, I wasn't unmotivated really um but I there was something wrong with me and I lost all um pleasure in what I was doing it wasn't lack of motivation because I was I just I just didn't Find it. I didn't want to do it anymore. I was like, "This is. I don't want to do this anymore. And I went to the, back to the therapist and I then saw a psychotherapist and they said, yeah, you've got burnout. And I said, can someone get burnout at 30 years old, 29 years old? And they went, yeah, you can get it anytime. And I suddenly realized that I'd been running at hundred miles an hour all the time and I'd never checked in on myself. And so I'd driven myself to this place where actually then I couldn't really do anything. So lockdown came and I took six months pretty much where I didn't do much. I did a podcast maybe once a week and I went walking and my poor girlfriend had to deal with it, which was not fun for her at all. And what a legend for staying with me. Um, but yeah, so now I very much check in myself. Before my worst days of the week, right? Were weekends, hated weekends. Mm. didn't like them because weekends were boring. I couldn't work. I couldn't go and create stuff. I couldn't do stuff. Things were shut. Oh, it's just about seeing friends. And I was socially anxious. I didn't want to see people. So Monday was my favorite day. Now I very much look forward to the weekend because I know I can rest. And it's so important for people out there that you think you have to work. And listen, I could say this to the young generation. You're going to do it anyway. If you're, if you're hungry, you're going to go and work 24 hours a day and party. And ooh, you're going to do it because that's what we're like. If you can take any piece of advice, try and manage it. Because it will hit you at one point And it's a hard thing to climb yourself out of. Um, so enjoy the rest time. Enjoy the weekends. Try and switch off. When I was younger, my parents were always right. And I always thought they were wrong. They are right. Listen to the wiser people who are above you. Trust me, I never did. And it's the biggest, worst mistake I've made. Rest, rest, rest when you can, because you need to recharge. And I never recharged.
1: Yeah, you've got to find that balance. And it also pains you to say that your parents were right. But yeah, they, they are, because right. they've gone um, through it. They've done it.
2: I, 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 I'm going to go and do a talk at a couple of schools i'm actually going to write that down now i'm going to just write so i remember that <laughs> uh, i'm doing a talk at some schools and i'm writing down school talk uh remember to rest and your parents are right uh, yeah uh, because it's true you know we think that we can do it ourselves and there's been billions and billions of people and They have taught us all these things growing up. We don't listen to them because we think they're wrong. But actually, older generation are typically right with stuff.
1: Yeah, totally. Now, something that you you briefly touched on there as well is, how important is it now to be in, and I'm not saying that this is right for everybody because everybody is different, but to have that steady and stable relationship now, to have that continuous through line, to know that when you come home at the end of the day, whether your day's been shit or whether it's been amazing, you've got a permanence there to relax with and just keep in check as well.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? I have I'd always struggle with monogamy. I was like, "Well, why if you can if you can eat the cake shop, why not do it? Like just go and have as much fun as you want." Um and I struggled with that for ages. You know, I I I probably slept around way too much and and I had loads of different girlfriends and I and I broke people's hearts and people upset me and it's not fun doing it all um, I can say this now that you know yes I'm sure all, you know this idea of being a playboy in Lothario is a really fun thing and, and sleeping with different people forever could be a great thing but actually being in a loving fulfilling relationship is much more rewarding uh, than anything else and the fact that I got a girlfriend who's pretty badass and we love each other and all this kind of stuff that's pretty cool and someone told me once, do you want to be the, the guy who's at the nightclub at the end of the day or leave with your best friend at the beginning? And I said, well, I'm going to leave my best friend. They said, well, do that then. Don't be the last person in the club waiting to pick up whoever it is. Because that's what happens. Slowly by slowly, you would become lonely. And it's a lonely existence. And there are a few things in life that typically, they did, they did a Harvard uh, test, right? They tested over 700 and something people in this Harvard test. Um, a year, hundred years ago, I think it's coming up to. And typically with uh, social experiments, they die out after 10 years because it's been too long or funding stops or people don't get bored of doing it or whatever. This one has lasted forever. And what they do is they got 700 and something Harvard graduates and study them throughout their lives to understand what creates happiness. Um, so happiness has always been a thing, right? People have think, oh God, are people less happy now? No, people throughout life has always been unhappy in search for happiness and stuff like that. Um, and what they discovered is, is that they followed them throughout their lives. Every two years they checked and then did all sorts of tests, brain tests, family checks, thorough, thorough social experiment. And there were presidents who came out of it and people who were alcoholics and who people who had schizophrenia and people who made money and didn't make money and all these different things. But what they found that people who um, were the happiest typically were people who had strong relationships with their friends, their family and a partner. That's what creates happiness um and people who didn't have those things were typically unhappy in the end so actually having a strong relationship is really important in life
1: yeah i completely agree with you i i feel i am in a strong relationship and we've just got a dog so that's essential and like you know it's the the small things as well it's like because i can i can still have fun though within my relationship that's the difference because i think that when you're not and you're in this single world you're you're you think the happiness is do it you know trying to get with other people and whatever that's Sleeping not the around. happiness that's yeah. not the definition of happiness the happiness yeah. is actually the part all the stuff before that you think yeah. the end point is you know the end of the night is the fun but it's not that's not the yeah. enjoyment that's in fact exactly. that's where, exactly as you say you become more lonely by doing that
2: yeah yeah, yeah. we what that is is that's just uh, fulfillment right you're just fulfilling mm. yourself with like uh, emptiness so, uh, well but yeah but also just instant pleasure right that's what mm. you're doing an in instant pleasure You can't, you know, continue. I I search for instant pleasure all the time and you can't really live like that.
1: No, absolutely. Now, something that you have been vocal about and talked about before is tinnitus. Mm. And I know that this is something that you're deeply passionate about and and particularly in terms of awareness um, and something that you've suffered with for a number of years now. I mean, Mm. how it's very difficult to kind of explain it because I'm sure it goes up and down for you in terms of your emotions. But how deeply does it affect you day-to-day, your mood, your mental health, and your emotions? So it used to really
2: affect it, right? So tinnitus is basically, uh, if people don't know, it's a constant ringing in your ears. That's what it is. And the ringings are different tones or pitches or ears or whatever it is. It can be caused from ear damage, noise damage, uh, genetic. It can be done from anxiety. I don't know what mine was done from. I have no idea. But I woke up one day and Uh, I could it was silence but there was a ringing and I was like what the hell am I is sort of if I can describe it it's like a how I'm just trying to think because I can hear it now so I'm just trying to how do I pronounce that not how do I make that so it's a very high-pitched it's like you know when you can hear that the television is on in a different room when mm. we we're younger you could hear the noise the high-pitched noise mm. it's like that it's like a staticky high-pitched noise and what happens with tinnitus is that the hair follicles in your ear are broken so they're constantly sending a signal to your brain that you're hearing a noise it's incurable it's incurable you can't cure it one in ten people in the world get tinnitus as well um and it started and it was hell because you have this ring in your ears and you have no silence and you're just like this is awful and for the first six months to a year ah it was bad and anxiety makes it worse lack of sleep makes it worse all these things make it worse and the most important thing to do with tinnitus is treat it like air con in the room or crickets at night it, if you're sleeping in a the room with this aircon, if you listen for the aircon, you could hear it. But you have to try and become accustomed to it so you forget about the noise. And that's for tinnitus, you forget about the noise. And as you get older, for me personally, it got better. A lot of people, it doesn't get better. But for me, it got better and i become used to it. And now I treat it like a friend. So if I, tinnitus is high, that either means that I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm a little bit anxious, I need to sleep. So I use it as an alarm bell where I go, okay, tinnitus is up, so therefore I need a rest now. And so I use it as an alarm.
1: That's really interesting because it's, how, it's like when you need to take time out, that is your, your sig- mm. a signal for you. You kind Absolutely. of know that something's, you know, actually, I probably actually need, you know, you're coming to a burnout, maybe. I don't know. You need yeah, to yeah, actually yeah, switch, yeah. switch off for a little bit or something. Yeah. Give yourself That's some totally time. It. That's no, totally that makes it. a lot of sense. Now, before I kind of start wrapping things up, there's a couple of other bits that I desperately want to talk about because you were one of the first people to do Celebrity Bake Off, man. Now, that is... <laughs> freaking insane. I mean, what I mean, what a staple show within the British society that is now literally yeah. a worldwide kind of scene thing. But what I want to know is was Paul Hollywood a real douche to you? Or was he actually quite a nice
2: guy? <laughs> Paul he was a good dude. I think he was expecting me to just be a complete idiot. I think, you know, throughout my life, when you do reality TV, people expecting you to be a certain type of person. Yeah. And that's what happened when I just strictly and things like that, that people mm-hmm. expecting me to be a certain way. And then you know, I mean, I think people, I'm a pretty kind guy. Like I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm pretty nice. I think kindness goes so far in life. And, mm. and so um, I, I did Bake Off and it was so much fun, but I met Paul Hollywood and I think he was expecting not to like me, but then actually liked me and that threw him off a little bit. So I had a hilarious time on it and just, it was just hilarious in so many ways. It's an amazing show and just so much fun.
1: And then you talked there about Strictly as well. You've got so many opportunities that have come from initially what started out as a reality show. And you've got another exciting show coming out that you've been filming, BBC Three.
2: Yeah, yeah, BBC Three. I like the way you move. It's a hybrid. It's
1: like a Toyota
2: Prius. Um it's, it's basically dancing and dating uh, combined together. We get five sexy professional dancers into a house and then you get these people called rookies who come and they partner up with the dancers and they learn dance and they fall in love. It's epic. It is epic it's coming out in september it is going to be an absolute rocket of a show and i can't wait it's a new form
1: of dating show and it's just going to be insane i like the way you move what a plug um what um <laughs> <laughs> has this like re- like uh, ignited uh, an adoration for dancing you post strictly and like now this show are you now an absolute dance fiend I'm not a dance at all. I've forgotten
2: how to dance. But I, I admire dancers massively because I, I admire anyone who's like really tried at their like trade and stuff like that. They've been in so much effort, these guys. They've been mm. training for years. Um, so I really admire all those dancers because they have put in so much effort to get where they are. And I think anyone who's done that, I applaud them massively. And Massively, I applaud them.
1: I think music and dance are the only two things that are universal in terms of being able to have a conversation with someone Absolutely. and expression. Yes. Literally, those two things, you could, I can understand what people are saying by using their bodies and their voice. Yes. I don't need to understand their language. Yeah.
2: It's so true. I think you're exactly right with that. That's why dance is so amazing because... Um, being also in control of your body like that is, is a pretty epic thing. I just didn't know my muscles worked <laughs> in different areas until I started dieting. So it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's amazing. Yeah, Strictly was incredible.
1: Yeah, what, what a time. Now, I've got two final questions that I'm going to ask you. One of them you may well have been asked before. What flavour sweet would you be and
2: why? Oh, good one. Um, we have our new sweets coming up, but I can't really say at the moment. We have new sweets <laughs> and uh, blood orange. Jesus, man, blood orange is just I uh, divine. I don't know if I'd be that though. What would I be? I I I think Matt, do you know? What? I think I'd be a lemon sherbet. I think I'd be oh. quite sweet with a little bit of that sourness. Ooh, a little bit that. of tang. Yeah, a little bit of tang. A little bit <laughs> of something. I think I'd be a sherbet lemon. I'd be a sherbet lemon flavoured sweet. And we used to have a flavoured candy kitten sherbet lemon. Didn't do so well. Uh so we <laughs> took it off the list. But yeah, I'd probably be a sherbet lemon, 100 percent
1: yeah, we like that. Now, my final question is, what does the word headstrong mean to you?
2: Uh, headstrong, God, I, I, I applaud anyone who's headstrong. And I admire, and I, it's a, almost, a, if you get headstrong, you've achieved everything you want. Um, I'm definitely not headstrong in everything I do at all. And anyone who is, well done to them. Um, headstrong is being in a place where you are uh, comfortable with who you are, I think. And I think when you get to a place where you're comfortable with who you are, you've uh, completed it. Um, and that's the place that everyone's searching. Just be content. And when you get your head strong, you're pretty content, I think. Yeah. Can you complete it though? Uh, I don't think you really want to complete it. No. I to. I, think you probably can. Can you complete it? No, I don't think you can. I don't think you want to. Life is about constantly... People, I saw this the other day. Um, life isn't about pleasure. It's about educating yourself. And um, you constantly want to educate yourself in different things. And that's what's important about life, I think.
1: A nice progressive journey of emotion and, and education. <laughs> I love it. Jamie, yeah. thanks so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. We, appreciate we did it. We, we did, did it. it,
2: man. I You're appreciate G. it. Thanks so much, buddy. Thanks,
1: thanks, man. It's great to have teamed up with The Good Level, a British CBD company who share a similar ethos to that of Headstrong. The Good Level co-founders, Joe and Johnny believe in cbd as it's helped them and their families with their physical and mental well-being whether that's using their balms to recover from physical exercise or using their oils to manage stress and anxiety or to get a better night's sleep the good level has well-being at the very center of their brand as we've partnered up with them for this season you can get a 15% discount off all their orders using headstrong15 at checkout and if you're not sure about CBD yet, no worries. Joe and Johnny are always happy to chat and answer all your questions. You can contact them via their website or check out their Instagram at the.good.level and that's headstrong15 at checkout. And that concludes this episode of Headstrong. I really want to say a massive thank you to Jamie. Firstly, for joining me on the podcast. But secondly, for being so open and honest in holding a really engaging conversation with me and one that i actually really really enjoyed and is certainly one of my favorites to date so far so huge thanks jamie by all means check out when his book is coming out and also go grab yourself some candy kittens most definitely some of my favorite sweets again thank you to you the listener for consistently tuning in And if this is your first time tuning in, hit subscribe or go check out some of my old episodes. I've had a number of guests on the podcast and I know that there'll be someone in there for you. Please do rate and review and send on to your family and your friends. Every little helps, as I always do say. I will be back next week for episode three of Headstrong Series 6.